farming in Washington State hangs in the balance and the farming community waiting with bated breath to see what are our lawmakers in Olympia going to do? Are they going to protect the future of producing food, farming here in Washington? Are they going to protect the future of the jobs that so many people have in farming? People who work on farm, farm workers, whose jobs are, are up in the air uh, under the current conditions, uh, under the current threats of lawsuits and unfair uh, back pay, as we've been talking about, as we've been sounding the alarm about here on the program, we still don't have an answer to that. As we go on air this morning, welcome back to The Farming Show here on KGMI News Talk 790. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Glad to have you here on a Saturday morning and glad that you're paying attention to this issue, our lawmakers need to continue to hear from us about how important this is. This is not crying wolf. The, the, the future of farming, not just dairy farming, I know this started in the dairy community, but it's all farming now implicated in this. The future of that, and particularly small farms, hangs in the balance right now on whether farms will be unfairly forced to pay thousands, tens, hundreds, in some cases, millions of dollars in penalty back pay when they were following the law and, and, and not breaking any rules as they went. They're following the law. Now the state retroactively is wanting to say that wasn't good enough. We've been tracking the changes in that legislation as it continues to be negotiated in Olympia. We hope it gets to a better place because the changes that we've been talking about in the past week or two have made the situation in some ways even worse than it was before. We had uh, Pam Lewison on uh, to talk about that with the Washington Policy Center and the changes that have made that made a good bill now a big problem, and we're hoping those changes can, can address the issue. Joining me right now is someone who spoke out early on this issue and actually uh, spoke to the Washington State Senate Labor Committee. Uh, she was part of that hearing. She's an orchardist uh, in Tenasket, Washington. Uh, Floor Maldonado, welcome to the program this morning. And um, I guess first talk about that experience of taking part in a in a hearing. You know, this year is weird with that because it's all, you know, all legislative hearings are happening on Zoom, but it makes it a lot easier for those of us who live far away from Olympia to be a part of these things, I guess. Talk about your message there and what that experience was like uh, speaking out on this important issue. Yeah, like you said, it was a little different this year. I've gone to speak for for different bills in the past. Um, I think the hardest part is the amount of time that we had. I think it was like a minute and a half. And there was so much to say and such little time. And I felt like I was just racing mm -hmm. as I was speaking. Um so I was hope could have I would have wished for more time so that the senators could have like really let it soak in mm -hmm. that th uh, this bill at least as it was originally written um, would really help all uh, small family operations or all farming in general actually. One well, I think what you shared painted a pretty clear picture of just how big of a deal this is and for you and your family orchard there 
this could make or break you guys. This doesn't isn't just about what you know whether your bottom line is you know as fat as you want it to be. No, it's it's about whether you know, the future of your family <laughs> and what you guys yes. do, right? Yeah, exactly. And really, farming, especially on the scale that we're at, it's more of a it's it's a way of life. The cost of farming just keeps going up and up. Uh, not sure if you're familiar with the H2A program, but Certainly that's, am, yeah. yeah, that wage is for Washington state will be 1634 this year will be the minimum that will be paid that anyone participating in the program will be paying mm-hmm. all of their employees, uh, foreign and domestic. And that's just gonna, it keeps thinning out our, our profits at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's unfortunate. And I don't even want to think about what it's going to be like if we have to go back retroactive three years of of overtime wages. Would it? Um, would it? Oh, end, it would it end your orchard? I mean, I think you were kind of talking about that in your your Senate testimony. Yes. Oh, it would definitely end us. There's no way we could bounce back from. We couldn't bounce back from that. Uh, it take us out. I know. I have a bunch of family friends that have orchards as well and it it take them out as well we're already struggling as is mm-hmm. um the costs like i said just keep going up and the returns have been the same for as long as i can remember um i'm pretty young but my dad says the same thing returns yeah. haven't increased that much yeah i, I think about that too uh, like you know, I've talked about so many times in the show. My dad's a red raspberry grower, so he's a fruit grower too. Kind of a different ball game in some ways, but a lot similar. You know, his costs just keep going up. Berry farmers' costs just keep going up. But the prices that he's talking about, what he gets, are still the kind of numbers that I remember when I was in high school. Yeah. And that's going to be 20 years ago um, <laughs> or more now. So it. it I guess that's an important point that, you know, with these kinds of issues, other industries, other communities can say, well, they just, you know, increase the price of their products, but you guys have no way to do that, right? Oh, no, we're, we're price takers. We take whatever we can get. We can get $25 a bin or a few hundred a bin. Yeah. And we won't find out what the price is until after we've sent our fruit to the warehouse and months down the road from that. Yeah. Like it's- oh, so p- people don't realize. I mean, it, not only do you have no say in what the price is for what you're producing, but you may not, like you just pointed out, and it's the same like for my dad, you may not know what you're getting for that for months and months. So how, how can you even make decisions? How do you even know whether your business, your farm, your family is going to survive until, you know, who knows, the middle of winter sometimes. Sometimes it's almost, I know for my dad, it's been like in bad years. The money doesn't even show up for the fruit that he produced the last year until the next harvest is about ready to start. I mean, it's, it's just so challenging to try to keep going. Oh yeah, we've even had it where we received bills instead of a instead of a check from warehouses uh, on the yeah. on the worst years. Um, it's it's heartbreaking. Um, so it's it, it's hard to be a farmer in this day and age. Yeah. It's getting tougher and tougher. Um, we have our my bunch of nieces and nephews, and we're telling them like if you're not if you don't want to do it for the lifestyle, go go to school and study something else get yeah. out of ag because unfortunately a, that's such a shame 
Yeah, it's it really is. Well, even my my parents told me like, hey, really think about like what you want. If you're in it for the money, like don't <laughs> don't come back to the orchard. <laughs> Go work yeah. elsewhere. Um, but it's it really is that lifestyle that that you want that family time. Right, for sure. And and that goes to to show what kind of an operation that you, you and so many people have that it is still run by your family. It is about family, and oftentimes those farm workers, the people who you hire to help get things done, are kind of part of that family too in a lot of ways. Oh uh, yeah. Flor Maldonado is with us. She's an orchardist from over in Tenasket, Washington, talking here on the farming show with us this morning about this terrible situation here in Washington. Um, we don't have a final answer yet. We hope that the powers that be in Olympia make this right and don't force farmers into a, you know, a farm-ending situation where they can't afford to pay the super unfair back pay penalty when they were following wage laws all along floor why is this even worse for a, a small farm like you guys <laughs> um it's we don't have the funds we don't we don't it, it would wipe us out maybe there's some larger operations that could go and take out a huge loan but we wouldn't have that opportunity um yeah. It's this kind of stuff is frustrating to me because it's the same people are saying, well, we need small farms and it's bad if farms get too big and all this stuff. Yet at the same time, they support things like this that would hurt the smallest farms the most. Yeah, no, it's it's hard to stay in in agriculture and especially with all of this stuff going on. Like we don't weren't doing anything wrong. We don't have a pot of gold in a way mm -hmm. that, Oh, in case one day people decide that we to change the law, they decide to change the law. And all of a sudden we have to pay extra money mm -hmm. that we were not aware of. No one told us. Um, and a bunch of us will go out to different trainings. Like we try to keep up with the laws as soon as they happen. Um, but we, Somehow, even if we stayed on track, we're still getting hit by yeah. by all the politics. Or I'm I'm not even sure if it's politics or or what it is. Talk about your your family orchard. What do you guys do? What do you specialize in? When did it start? It sounds like your your parents maybe started, or does it even go farther back than that? So my parents started it in 1996 here in Tenasket. Uh, right after all the the Alar scare happened, mm -hmm. they were able to get a subsidized farm loan, um, and it was just apples and a bunch of reds and goldens. First thing my dad did was take a chainsaw to everything because <laughs> <laughs> the, the apples weren't worth anything, so um, he grafted them over. He grafted them over to some galas and back in the day, some honey crisp. Mm -hmm. And that's what helped us get started because there weren't a lot of honey crisp yet. Right. Um, so we were able to survive. Um, and now we have cherries and pears as well. We've purchased a little bit of neighbor land as the years have progressed and more of my siblings have uh, come back to the family farm. Yeah. So I have two brothers 
and myself are currently managing the operation. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad are still here on the farm, but it's kind of, they they just kind of supervise. They'll help out. They have a little block that they'll do all the work for, all the pruning, Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's what they love to do. So we're not. What, gonna... what, what was their background? How did they get into it? Like, did, did they grow so my, up around farming? Um, so my parents immigrated to the United States from Mexico in the eighties. Okay. And they were seasonal farm workers. Hmm. They were seasonal farm workers in the Wenatchee area, um, and they would work when they could. And they loved piece rate work because they had ten kids. So I have seven brothers, two sisters. Lots of mouths to feed, and they were able to make a lot of money yeah. doing that. Um, they worked hard and made sure that we studied hard in school. Yeah. All of us have gone to college go- using different scholarships, uh, specifically the Washington Apple Education Foundation Scholarship uh, really helps uh, farm workers, children, or just people in agriculture in general, specifically the tree fruit. Um, but yeah. So uh, with their background as seasonal farm workers themselves, what did they think about all of this? What are they saying? Oh, they think it's it's devastating. Um, so a bunch of the employees that we currently have, they're pretty much family. Like we're their godparents, their kids' godparents. Mm-hmm. Well, before COVID, we do family barbecues together and everything. And it's going to suck to tell them, like, like going forward with overtime, like hey, I with the overtime pay and ad, yeah, it's we're probably gonna have to cut back their hours. Yeah, because which sucks. I, there's a certain amount of work that has to be done to yeah. get the whole thing to happen, and you have a certain amount that you can afford to pay for that without going out of business, essentially. Yeah. And again, back to the price taker thing that you explained earlier, you can't just increase your prices to cover that extra. So where is that money going to come from? It's like, okay, we have all this work to get done. We, we can't afford without going out of business to, to pay that much more for it. Where does that leave us? We have to make sure that no one person can maybe work over that 40 hours or whatever the, the threshold ends up being um, yeah. just because we can't afford to do it. And they lose out then. Exactly. And a bunch of the times, the, like, we're not paying these, our employees, the minimum wage. I don't even, I don't, I honestly cannot tell you what the state minimum wage is. We have not paid it in so yeah. long. Um, like, it's, they're making good, a good earning, mm-hmm. especially when there's peace, right? So they could, okay, you know what? It's mutually beneficial. They get the job done faster for us. And on their part, they get a bigger check. Yeah. Well, the overtime will still affect them because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. We have to keep track of their hours, even if it is piece rate. You you bring up have- you bring up a really good point there because I think a lot of people are assuming well these jobs must be minimum wage and so you know it's it's already so tough for these folks who are doing this kind of work to make it, but that's not the case as you're explaining. Like you you can't get people to come work for minimum wage with that kind of work anymore. Just, and with, especially with the worker shortage, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And it's hard to get people up here. We leave up in Tenasket. There's not, there's not a lot of people and even less farm workers that want to make it all the way up here. Yeah. Um, so it's, we have to stay competitive with our prices and we have some of the, 
some of our smaller, some of our neighbors that have smaller farms, um, you know, some of the employees have already heard what's going on. If they've been calling us to be like, hey, are you guys going to be like, what's going on with your situation? Um, can we start migrating that way now? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and it's then you feel bad for your for your neighbor that's the farmer because you don't want to steal his employees or her employees. Yeah. Um, it's it'll be interesting for sure. And hopefully people don't like can stay in business. Um, I mean, it's, it gives people a reason to stay in this area. It's a f- agriculture area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would affect the community as well. Like it's, it's when your community revolves around ag, something like this is just disheartening. Flor Maldonado is with us. I'm Dylan Hunk. If this is the farming show here on KGMI, she is an orchardist, works, as she just explained a few moments ago, works with her family to run a, a small um, orchard over in uh, Tenasket. Um, we talked at the beginning of our conversation here, and we just have a few seconds left. But at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about what it was like to testify to the to the state senate labor committee about this issue and you had so very little time in the few seconds we have remaining here what else would you have wanted to get across to them you know what do you think that they need to know because people are still listening and working on this issue and we still have a chance to to have our voices heard what 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 do you want them to hear farmers aren't evil we're not slave drivers all we want is to make a decent living, we want all of our employees to make a decent living and be able to work the land that our parents have worked, that our our family and friends have worked. Um, it's I don't want to lose my land. Mm-hmm. Like that's please don't take my land type thing. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It sounds cheesy to say, but it's 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 sadly become real. It, yeah, it's suddenly become real. It, it's um, crazy that we're even in in this position. I applaud you for having the courage to speak out because I know many people are concerned, but many people are also, in some cases, worried about saying anything publicly about this. And I think that's too bad because I, I want Olympia. I want everyone in this state to hear the voice of the farmers and farm workers who are being so negatively affected by this and other things that go on um, so they can understand what's really happening with growing and producing food locally here in Washington State. An idea that so many people support, yet at the same time something that our leaders are making harder and harder all the time as you're explaining and, and attesting to. Flor Maldonado, uh, orchardist over in Tenasket, thank you for your time, for chatting with us here on the program, and thank you for speaking out. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me.